Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Mallory, and I am recording this uh, a few days after Noah came on the show. That's the episode that you're about to listen to. We recorded this as well as several upcoming episodes before the election, and then the election happened. Um, so I'm just back in the studio today um, to address that because uh, it seemed uh, wildly inappropriate to release uh, something full of regular discussion and jokes uh, without acknowledging uh, what happened this last week. Um, when it comes to offering advice, um, I think it can be helpful when something like this happens to look for small, discreet ways to be useful, um, because otherwise it can be easy to start thinking ahead uh, four years at a time and in terms of uh, what could happen and what might happen and what may be happening already. Um, so if you are distressed and considering what is something that you can do, um, I think now would be an excellent time. Uh, if you are not already a member of the ACLU uh, to become one, uh, if your membership has lapsed, to renew it, um, to offer them a donation of whatever size you may be capable of. Um, there's a great many legal battles ahead for them, and they can use all the help that they can get. Um, also, Planned Parenthood um, would be another wonderful place to offer time, money, resources, whatever you've got available. That's always a good idea, but especially now, uh, as well as the Southern Poverty Law Center, which does a lot of excellent advocacy work. Um Something else that you might consider doing is um, reaching out to the mosques and the Muslim community centers in your area, just offering a message of goodwill um, and ask if they need any help with any kind of volunteer work. If they need help, like, you know, cleaning the floors or stuffing envelopes. Um, this is an especially terrifying time to be in America if you are... Um, a follower of Islam, and, and I think that that would be a helpful way to offer some comfort and goodwill to your neighbors, which I think is a good thing to do at all times. Uh, this is this is strange. I have not done this before for the show. Uh, I find myself a little bit more at a loss for words than I would have liked. Um, I'm thinking of all of you today. I know that there are a lot of listeners of the show who are deeply affected by this election and and, and who I'm very... I just wish I could do more. Um, I think it is a mistake to talk about this election in terms of economics. Somebody else said, we're all worried about money, but only some of us voted for the white supremacist. Um, I think it is an illusion of moral responsibility to claim that a vote for Donald Trump was anything other than a vote for white supremacy. Um, and I think that any attempts to do so should be um, should be met with resistance and disavowal. Um, I... I, I I believe that strongly to be true. Um, I believe that it is not especially important to be civil. I sometimes find uh, calls for civility to be mealy-mouthed and unnecessary. I'm not sure why it is important to be civil um, to great wrong. Um, I, I don't encourage any of you to go out and punch a motherfucker. Uh, that would not be prudent. But um, I think sometimes there are more important things than civility. Um, and that that is something important to remember when you hear calls for balance or giving someone a chance. I think it is strange to think that someone who has been very clear and upfront about the kind of person they are and the kind of values they espouse uh, for really their entire career, but especially the last 18 months, and then to say perhaps it will be different now that they have been given power. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, I don't believe that there is some secret restraining force that is about to come out uh, and walk him back from some of the things that he's promised to do. Um, I think any attempts to say maybe it will be different from what we've been told is a desire um, to not believe what is right in front of us, and I don't believe that that's an appropriate response to reality. I think one of the most upsetting truths about the election is that 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump, and as a white woman, I think that's something that's really important to acknowledge that the majority of us chose whiteness over everything else. And that there is a rottenness uh, within 
mainstream white feminism that has been there from the beginning, um, that has sought to bring white women up to the level of white men and then pull the ladder back up and forget about everyone else. I, I don't say that to say that all white women who are feminists are bad people. I think that's fairly clear. Uh, I just want to sort of um, address the not all white women uh, response before before getting one. Um, I think this was a collective moral failure on the part of white women um, to look out for other women and that that has to be acknowledged and that however we move forward from this election, um, we cannot do so by pretending that the majority of white women stand in solidarity with other women because we don't and we didn't and that that is shameful and wrong. It was a collective moral failure to do the right thing. I hope that you enjoy the rest of the podcast. I hope that you are taking good care of yourselves and the people that you love. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. I am, as always, Dear Prudence and Mallory Orberg, both in the same person. This week on the show, we have Noah Cohen, who is a longtime friend of the Dear Prudence podcast, as well as the technology editor at Vice News. Uh, hi, Noah. Hi. I'm going to go ahead and read this first one. Uh, the subject of this go one for is it. Goddaughter versus Nephews. My sister and I are not especially close. I am religious and very active in my church, while my sister is a rather bitter atheist, although given our background, I can understand why. Our father was a preacher who had multiple affairs and paraded his conquests in front of our mother. I once made the mistake of talking to my nephews about my faith when they were younger, and my sister reacted angrily and limited our relationship to cards and Thanksgiving at our mother's house. I really don't know my nephews beyond Facebook interactions and what my mother tells me, even though we live in the same town. My problem is this. My goddaughter is turning 16 soon, and I had planned on giving her my old car as a gift. My mother mentioned it in passing to my sister, and she got furious. She called me up and wanted to know why I didn't give the car to my nephew when he turned 16 last month. I sent my nephew $50 for his birthday, but I don't know him as a person. I've been involved in my goddaughter's life since she was in diapers, from figure skating to figuring out where she wants to go to college. Her parents are among my oldest and dearest friends. I don't have that with my sister. My husband is angry, my mother is upset, and I don't want to lose what's left of my relationship with my sister, especially with the holidays coming. Can you see any way through this? This is like 100%. We got religion, we got inheritance, we got sibling rivalry, we got it all. This is this is definitely going to Oh, work. it's so good. Oh, man. So the, the, first, the first thing, I have like one really big question mark, and I'm not quite sure if it'll relate to how you deal with this woman's advice, but she said her husband is angry, and she never really explains why. And I'm so <laughs> curious as to what like could be like, you know, making her husband mad in this, like, <laughs> yeah. like whose side he's on or whatever. Um, yeah, that, he has that, no dog like, in his kind of tripped me out. Yeah, my big question is, like, she says she talked about her faith with her nephews a long time ago. And I want so badly to find out, like, what do you mean? Like, did you say, I'm religious and I go to church and your sister overreacted? Or were you like, hey, kids, your mom's an atheist, but it's just because our dad cheated on our mom. And, like, here's the truth. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many different ways she could have had that conversation. I really wish I knew uh, what she said. Right. I mean, at first I had a lot of trouble thinking about what to do here because there was just so much missing. But then I thought of something uh, that like kind of struck me and it didn't seem to me like she's done yet, which is talk to the nephew. Like talk to like, like, to, to, like, you know, he may want the car, but I feel like he's the principal in this situation and very little. She didn't talk too much about him. And I feel like talking with him and, and using sort of him as a way to figure out like, what does he want and what does he expect and explaining like, Hey, listen, we haven't had much of a relationship and I already committed and was planning on doing this thing. But I want you to know, like, I, I'm here for you if you'd ever like something or, or perhaps something like that is sort of an entryway to, to, to mediating the conflict. Yeah, that's tricky. Uh, it's hard because, like, he's 16. He's not a child anymore. So, like, if you're ever going to have a relationship with him, it's going to have to start being, like, you know, uh, not mediated exclusively through his mother. But it's also not clear, like, 
is he even mad? Does he even care? Like he maybe does not want a car. Um, maybe he wants other things that. Yeah. Like what if, what if this whole thing is just like a proxy fight for his, for, 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 for this woman's sister? Like it, it could also be that, you know, she's sort of like using the nephew grievance um, and like that, that like this is like some way to act that out. I mean, it, it just seemed the whole thing seems like a little uh, messy, but well, I feel like talking with the nephew and maybe, you know, approaching him as like a bit of an adult and feeling that out would be one way to really to to to, to, to see what what the real situation is and what he wants. Yeah. I, I mean, part of the problem, right, is that this is a conversation that should have been had about like 13 years ago. Uh, this is yeah. this is actually like 50 conversations that they have not had. I'm actually rereading this as we're talking right now, and I'm not sure that the letter writer ever apologized. Again, like it, it's possible that like what she said was relatively mild and her sister overreacted. It's also possible that she really overstepped her bounds and like tried to impart religious doctrine to her nephews in a way that was super inappropriate. Either way, it's definitely okay for a parent to say, hey, please don't like give my children uh like a religious lecture if if I don't want that um I've, I've I've not encountered many folks who like identify as atheist and who make a point of identifying as atheist and giving their kids the option to to talk about like to to, to grow up without like you know the faith of like their parents or grandparents or whatever uh, who have you know actually reacted like furiously when faith is discussed like there's really got to be something more there on either end of it right um but that that did strike me as like kind of a red flag. Like I was just sort of confused. Like what is yeah, what you were saying earlier? Like talk about faith. What does right. that mean? Because like again, the letter writer said, "I made the mistake of talking to them about my faith. My sister reacted angrily and limited our relationship to cards and Thanksgiving." And again, it's possible that the sister like really overreacted and like put the clamp down. But it also doesn't sound like the letter writer ever apologized or tried to get close again. It sounds like she was kind of like. Well, that's too bad. And and I wonder if, like, part of what needs to happen is you need to acknowledge, like, hey, I clearly really hurt you when I tried to, like, share my religious beliefs with your young children. And I, I, I just want you to know, like, I would love to be close with you guys. I also want you to trust me. I don't want you to worry that um, you can't leave me with your kids without my trying to convince them that they should be religious in the same way that I am. Like, that's maybe the conversation you guys should have had. After you made that mistake, but it sounds like you were kind of like, oh, if she's going to like cut me off, fine. Like, I don't care. I'll just sort of like let us be distant to one another. And that's how you get in a position like this now where your sister seems like feels really conflicted of like, I resent you, but it also hurts me to see you like treat uh, your goddaughter the way that I wish you could treat my nephews. But uh, yeah, this is tricky. It's also like an acknowledgement of reality. You don't know your nephews. You're not close. Um, You guys have really like gone for the full Cold War here. And now now you're mad. I mean, I feel like the only way out of this is to like, like, I don't, I feel like there isn't really any satisfying way to go back to like detente. Like you have to, you have to say like, all right, like if we're, if like, like this is the time perhaps to like reassess, like my nephew's six, like my nephew's 16, he's like going to become an adult soon. This is like gone on long enough. Like he's, there's no, like I, he's probably enough of an adult that there's not really anything you could say uh, in talking about your faith that would suddenly win him over so dramatically. Like I feel like part of this is also that like the time to like address this tension is now. Like yeah. it's a, you know, per- perhaps, perhaps the letter writer should see this as an opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think the important thing to bear in mind here is, like, no one's about to be damaged, right? Like, the the worst thing that could happen to either one of these kids is that they don't get a car when they're 16. So bearing that in (laughs) mind, like, the car is definitely a symbol of closeness and affection and and all sorts of different, like, familial ties. But, like, your nephew's going to be fine and your goddaughter's going to be fine. So you kind of have to ask yourself, like, if I have a conversation with my sister and we really, like, hash things out and she says, I really, like, I really wish she would give my son a car. Like, would you be willing to do that? Would that be meaningful to you? Would that make you feel like this could be the beginning of a new kind of relationship? Uh, Or would you feel like, hey, I want to get to know you guys better. I want to be close, but I love my goddaughter. I'm really close with her. I've promised her the car. It's my car. That's what I'm choosing to do with it. Um, 
But like, but then use the opportunity to be like, but listen, I feel like this reflects like this, like this, this problem that we've had. It kind of just addresses the fact that like we should be more in touch and communicative about one another's lives and involved. Yeah, because if it's about what the car represents, I'm a little more sympathetic to your sister. If it's just the car and she was perfectly happy to keep you at arm's length for 16 years. But now that there's a car in the offing, she's like, nope, we're close. We're family. You have to give it. That's a little shitty. And uh, if that's the read you're getting from her, like. I think it's really appropriate to say, like, no, I'm giving the car to my goddaughter. Um, I'd love to get to know you guys better. I- I'd love to reconnect, but I'm I'm not going to, like, buy your son's affection. And if her response to that is really lousy, then, you know, maybe you'll have to stick to casual Facebook interactions. Like, that would be a shame. But um, I don't think you owe them a car. Like, I think you yeah. owe them basic kindness and respect but like i don't get the read from this letter that this person's like desperate to repeat the religious indoctrination thing like i don't i I think she like yeah may absolutely have overstepped a bound years ago but it's it's clearly like she understands that her sister's an atheist she's like i get it i'm not going to try to like convert her children so i'm not worried for them on that sense and i think um i think you should like definitely have the conversation be willing to hear her out but you you don't owe her son a car because you talked to him about church one time would you uh, like to read our next letter? Yes, this one is the subject is girlfriend or administrator. Before I met my boyfriend, I rented a nice apartment with three bedrooms in order to sublet two of them to support myself financially through grad school. My boyfriend knew about this when he moved in and agreed to pay rent as any other roommate. Two years later, I graduated and recently got back to the workforce. So a few months ago, we let go our remaining roommate and started paying equal rent. Because our landlady is very senior, she is used to me and the contract was on was in my name. I always make the arrangements to pay her in cash. This month, she demanded $80 extra for some repairs that technically she had to cover, but to avoid any problems, I personally paid that. Days later, she said there was, there was uh, $150 missing from the envelope I gave her with the rent money. I'm absolutely sure that I did pay her in full. I counted the bills minutes before I gave them to her, and she signed a receipt. But I know that if I don't concede, she will evict us. The contract expired a while ago. So I told my boyfriend that we should pay half and half of that $150. He doesn't think so. He said it is my responsibility and my fault for not counting the money in front of her, but that he would give me the $75 in a very condescending tone. When I was profiting from the sublet, I always took care of extra expenses, but now I think that we should take it 50-50. I told him calmly that I find it very disappointing that I even had to ask him. That if it was the opposite case, I would offer to chip in with all the extra expenses of the household. He got very mad and told me that I've only been paying equal rent for a couple months and I shouldn't play the victim for it. I didn't even ask him to pay for the other $80. We now earn the same amount in our jobs if it matters. What do you think? Is it my fault? Should I pay in full or should we split? So I I just... I just got to say, like, my my initial, re- my, like, immediate reaction upon finishing this was uh, she's got to dump him. Like, <laughs> uh, like dear, dear letter writer, uh, I am so sorry that this guy was, like, such a jerk to you about this. But, like, it's, like, like he's not for you if this is how he's going to treat you. Because if you owe, like, if, if, if he believes you, if he trusts you in a relationship and you tell him that you believe with a, like 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 a like total certainty that you paid your elderly landlord the amount of money that she says she's missing like the fact that he doesn't believe you and then gets all preachy and condescending about like well it's it's, you know, it's your money you should take care of it like that's crazy and you're the one doing the labor of work of like dealing with this woman in the first place no 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 like it's like you you're in the right you're like this guy is he's treating you shabbily and that you asked if you should pay in full or should we split? I feel like suggests that that that's kind of those are extremes. And uh, it suggests to me that you sort of know the answer, maybe. I love that you are taking a strong stance on this. Uh, very few guests have like run out the gate with break up with him over this $75 issue. And I, I love and admire your forcefulness here, Noah. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you. You're welcome. I am. I'm so on team like dump his ass. I, I just have so many questions like. I, I'm super worried about this landlady. First of all, I, I always think that getting rent in cash is at least mildly shady. Um, and I would never be comfortable giving my landlord my rent in cash, even if they did sign a receipt. But my, my first thought is like, this woman signed a receipt, which means that like, 
presumably at the time she counted the money and agreed that that was how much was there. So now the fact that she's like changing her tune and trying to bilk you out of 150 bucks, um, I'm either worried you say she's really senior. I'm either worried that she's like experiencing memory issues or like after years of being a good landlady trying to, you know, jerk you out of 150, um, which is weird either way. I mean, the whole thing, like, I, it's, like, there's a lot of reasons that, like, the situation doesn't sound ideal. Like, you have, like, the elderly landlady who demands to be, who, like, prefers to be paid in cash or, or whatever and is, like, not taking on some of the responsibility for repairs and says that you miscounted the money. Like, that's one stressor. But that at the same time, like, the, the, this woman's partner, her boyfriend, is is saying something like, like, well, you fucked up. Uh, it's your responsibility. Uh, you know, I'm disappointed in you. Uh, you should, uh, you should just get better accounting. That's, that's, that's my <laughs> advice. Like, like, what is that? That's so rude. That is really so rude, rude. Especially in that tone of voice. I hope. Like same team, same team. Yeah. Especially when it's like, uh, again, I know $150 is different for different people, but it sounds like they are both making the kind of money where $150 is not like the difference between being able to eat or not. Um, for the week. Right. What was what was interesting is that that the amount of money was described with like the kind of minute detail, and that it didn't sound like uh like this money like like there was no trade off described like look that's money that I didn't spend on groceries this week. It, but it was like the kind of minute description of like like this like it felt like the money was like a stand in for like some other issue because she didn't dwell on what the impact of the money was. It was just that like this was the source of the conflict, and there's like all this like like this like really weird tension that's. A and that's what's more frustrating than like the financial loss. Yeah. And she even says like, you know, we make the same amount so as to make it clear that there is an equal burden here. No, this is very clearly right. Like conditions have deteriorated, right? Like that they're both like, well, I make the same amount of money as you. Well, you've only been paying equal rent for a few months. Well, it's only $80. Like this is very clearly like not a situation where uh, they feel like we're on the same team. We might experience frustration about the unfairness of the situation, but like obviously our priority is each other. Clearly, right now the priority is like I've got mine, bitch. Uh, like yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's just I'm like not this guy, like, extra cent. Like they're working on this some is sort like of the guy group project oh, together, man. and they're fighting s- over credit. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. This- no, this just reminds me of like those like Reddit forums, uh, like where somebody will say like, "Hey, listen, I signed up for a really bad healthcare package, and it's I'm I'm like I, I have a huge expense uh, coming up from some medical procedure, and I'm just not sure what to do. Can you help me out?" And this is like the guy, like the first Reddit commenter, who's like, "Well, you know." The thing is, is that you shouldn't have gotten this plan and that was a really big mistake. And, uh, you know, you should have just done more research and, and you should have, you should have, and it's always like you should have that. It's like never like what's constructive about this? Like, why can't he be like modestly supportive? I don't know. I like, right. I really dislike this guy. No, I'm, I, I, like, I hear the limited that. profile given. I feel like if I, if I had like a partner who came to me with this story, like my first response would be like, Hey, like it's us versus this kind of wacky landlady, not like. I'll give you $80, but I'm going to be the worst about it. So, okay, in no particular order, this is my advice. Like, number one is, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, it's not worth getting evicted right now over $150. So you're just going to give her the money. Um, But I would also, like, you know, check out, like, your tenant's rights. uh, Like, look back over your contract. Like, she signed a receipt. Like, I think you can at least try to push back and say, like, hey, you signed a receipt. I counted the money. Can you check again? I obviously, like, I'm not encouraging you to, like, burn this bridge and, like, be really, really forceful with her in case, like, she's irrational. But, like, at least give that a shot. And 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 if nothing else, I think this is a good reminder that from now on, like, uh, tell her that you, like, need requests for additional money in writing and that you want to check your contract before you agree to them. Um, get a new get a new contract. Like, don't live there without a rental agreement. That is super dangerous for you because. Um, like you said, she could evict you at any moment. And if you can't start paying your rent in checks, uh, like try, try to, I, I would actually go so far as to say, like, unless your rental agreement specifically forbids paying for your rent in a check, which would be unusual, like start, start using checks, like get a record so that you can like have a bank statement to point to and say, like, actually, this was for the full amount. Um, if nothing else, like, when you pay her your rent, like stand there and count it with her and like don't just get the receipt, like take a picture, like get more evidence on your side so that she can't like if this is going to become a new thing, um, you know, make sure she can't take that same kind of advantage of you. Uh, take the money. 
Like, take the money from your boyfriend, right? Like, he offered it begrudgingly, but he offered it. So take it. Absolutely. Um, Be like, yeah, I will take that $75, even if you're going to have a bad attitude about it. And then I'm not going to go so far as to say break up with him. I'm going to go so far as to say have a fight with him. Uh, Take the money and tell him that it was frustrating that it felt like he wasn't on your side and that he was looking to blame you uh, and to sort of begrudge you a relatively small amount of money given your relative incomes and see how he handles that. Like if he's like, hey, you're right. I'm sorry. I was kind of shitty about it and and I want to do better. Then, you know, that tells you something. And if he's just like a real, you know, cockstick about it, uh, then then you can dump him. Then then you can then you can take Noah's advice and, and dump the hell out of him. Yeah, I mean, Mal- Mallory's Mallory's probably correct, but uh, I say dump him. I, I just I don't I, I'm I, I don't have I don't have uh the patience, but like Mallory's advice is probably definitely correct. Here. It, it it does feel petty to break up over something like this, but I also hate when someone says you shouldn't play the victim. Like she's not playing the victim, she's asking for That's help. Like, I, it's it's like th- there's so many little red flags in this. Like, well, it's your res- he said it is my like like she writes like he said it is my responsibility, and then he like got mad and told uh, like like and that you shouldn't play the victim. Like right. that's. That's that's baloney. I bet he only pulls glasses out of a clean dishwasher when he needs them and then pretends he didn't know the dishwasher <laughs> was clean. And he's like, oh, was it was it clean? Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I can unload it now if you need me to. Uh, I was actually about to head out, but I can be late. Um, if he does that, you should kill him, not just break up with him. You should set him on fire yeah, and kick I him pegged the him. sun. <laughs> See, I, I pegged him as the kind of guy who uh, would leave stuff in the washing machine. <laughs> And then get mad that you didn't think to move it. I feel like we're really making a lot of assumptions about this guy. So maybe, you know, maybe know, he's got great like, qualities. But just, yeah, you know, I, if, if, true, if he's like really hot, then. <laughs> he's really hot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, send us a picture. If he's um, extremely hot, put up with it. But if not, no, no, this is terrible. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I feel like we've helped that as much as we can. Yeah. Check your rental agreements. Try not to pay in cash. Landlords will always try to take advantage of you because landlords have institutional power behind them that you do not. Uh, the the real enemy, as always, is capital. It, I, I, I feel like that's been the theme of too many episodes recently, and I'm afraid I'm going to start getting letters about it, but you're not wrong. So, uh, no, I, I, I did not want to get exclusively tech-themed letters for, for your visit to the show, but I did get one that I absolutely knew I had to earmark for you. Um, oh, this, really is, I, this is a great letter. This, again, feels fictional, not in the sense that it felt, like, fake, but it was so perfectly set up to fulfill, like, every uh, check mark of this particular trope that it just feels like a... It feels too good to be true. And by too good to be true, I mean the worst. Um, so, with, yeah, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it is what I'm going to do. The subject is torn up on Twitter. Oh, I just have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. All right, here we go. Here we go. I'm engaged to be married to my best friend. Always a bad start, by the way. Always bad. When someone says that they're marrying their best friend, I don't know what it is. I just get the worst feeling in the world, like something horrible is about to happen. Oh, I don't I always... know why. I think of man's best friend, so I always imagine that they're about to marry their dog. And I'm like, that's just gross. That's weird. Don't do that. That's definitely not what I think. I just, it always feels like something bad's about to, all right, no, okay. No more commentary. I'm going to read this letter. I'm engaged to be married to my best friend. We have a loving and supportive relationship. And until recently, I couldn't have been happier. A year ago, when he first told me he liked me, I initially turned him down, telling him that I saw him as a friend and nothing more. He avoided me for about a month before I realized how much I missed him, and as a result, we started going out. Then he proposed, and things were going great until a few weeks ago, when I opened up his Twitter account to try to come up with gift ideas for our one-year anniversary, and I found a series of tweets he'd made while he was avoiding me, that I was a bitch who didn't deserve a nice guy like him, how he wasted his time hanging out with me without getting any reward, how when he stayed up with me all night when I cried over my grandmother's death, he should have just left me alone and gone home. He shared personal things I told him in confidence, and all his friends on Twitter called me a bitch for not going out with him. I was hurt, shocked, and confused. He was my best friend, and I never would have imagined he thought that way about me. I immediately confronted him about what I saw, and he was apologetic, saying that he was hurting from being rejected, and he was just venting. But I don't know if I can trust him anymore. I love him so much, but I feel incredibly hurt and betrayed. Am I overreacting? I thought I was marrying my best friend, but now I'm considering calling it off. You need a better best friend. Uh, is my first and only thought. Noah? 
Uh, I agree. Uh, I, 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 I hate to be like, you know, Mr. Like to, 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 to play Mr. Dump his ass, but uh, dump his. Yeah, ass. you really you started so strong with the last one that I feel like you have nowhere to go on this one. But you expand, you know, go on. I mean, it's so like, okay, for starters, like the fact that he in the talent in this telling. So the letter writer says she logged onto his Twitter account um, to like you know look up gift ideas or whatever. Um, she doesn't say if he was upset about that. Um, and cause she doesn't, and she says that he was immediately apologetic. That kind of leads me to believe one of two things, which is one, they're the kind of couple who trust each other with like their Twitter accounts, which, wow, uh, that's impressive. Uh, and then the second one is, uh, that like he was immediately apologetic. Like he knew he fucked up. Like he knew he screwed up. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Hang on. I don't think she like pulled up and logged into his Twitter account. I think these are people who like, Maybe she doesn't check Twitter very often. I think she literally just oh my gosh, you're right. His timeline, yeah, no, no, no. She that, that that's not even the issue here. She just looked at his public facing tweets from oh, a year man. ago. Like he didn't even bother. Oh, to that makes it them even worse. When they yeah, got engaged, man. Okay, so that's the other thing is like he's she, like his thing is that like his reasoning for why he like was a giant dick on Twitter was that he said he was hurting from being rejected. Like if you're hurting from being rejected and that's like the stressor that sends you off on Twitter to like call your ex a bitch and stuff like then like no, you can't trust that guy. Like uh you like I'm sorry that like your best friend sucks so hard and that you're engaged yeah. to marry him, but like he is totally going to burn you in the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't want to get like too far afield into discussing like nice guy syndrome because I feel like the internet's already like delved into that issue pretty thoroughly. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, people do not owe you sex and romantic love because you like are there for them when their grandmother dies. That's actually like a pretty normal component of friendship, and you should do that for friends that you do not secretly wish to bone. Um, so like, uh, that's actually like a pretty horrific claim for him to make that like because you did not immediately comply in becoming his girlfriend when he wanted you to, uh, he was therefore somehow, like, manipulated out of something by being nice to you and your grandmother died. That's actually just, like, basic human kindness. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was like, just kind of stunned. Like, I, it, that part really rubbed me the wrong way. It just is, like, it's a, like, very, like, you're right about, you don't want to get, like, too far afield with the trope in particular, but it's just, like, he doesn't, like that he had ever at any point, like within the last couple of years, like, you know, this isn't like a youthful indiscretion kind of thing. Like, uh, yeah, I was mm -hmm. like young and dumb and I didn't know any better, but I've grown into a different person. This was a like relatively recent thing. Uh, like that, that's uh, the period of atonement for that kind of fuck up is, 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 is it's, it's longer than what it's been based on the description of this yeah. letter. This guy literally doesn't understand what friendship is. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. You know, he thinks it's a series of quarters you inject into someone until they fuck you. Um, yeah, this, which, I mean, it's like it's, not. It's, it's just like okay, one grandma death like vigil is like like that's 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 definitely that's definitely sex equal like, to crazy. three months of dating or something, right? Like, yeah, he doesn't understand what friendship is, and this guy's dumb as shit, right? He's this is so a dumb. He's facing so Twitter dumb. account, oh, and he God. left those tweets up for anyone to see. He's not even. He doesn't even have like the basic spatial awareness to cover his tracks. Like he's stupid. That, that, um, that was the thing that also blew well me away. It's just like don't like it's bad form for anybody to like say bad things about like exes and whatever on like in public places. Like it's like it's like nah, just don't do it. Like it's it's not. Mm -hmm. It's it's just like a really good like hard rule that will always keep you out of trouble. Like yeah, I, no matter how satisfying it feels in the moment. And honestly, even if it's really justified, it often looks embarrassing for the person who does it, right? And he doesn't even have it. Like, it's, this behavior would barely be understandable if she had, like, cheated on him. You know what I mean? All she did was say, I don't want to go out with you, which is actually an answer you're allowed to give to someone when they ask you out. Um, that's sort and then of on, how and asking someone out works. Oh, and then on top of which was that, like, like in, in that, like, you know, like... She like I feel like what's so weird is that like you know like so frequently you hear like these stories about like uh yeah like you know like that you know she didn't want to go out with me like fuck her whatever she sucks and then instead you know like in this case like she came back around she like thought about it like the there yeah. was like a like a degree of normalcy to the fact that like you know she said no and then she thought about it and she came back and then it went like it's I don't know. I just feel like this is a really convincing case for just not giving people second chances but like <laughs> yeah. 
Like, no, and uh, just like th- that he's like, oh, I was hurting and that's why I did it. Like when you're hurt, you cry. You eat a bunch of ice cream. You yeah, you don't go on twi- shots of whiskey you, at the bar. You, <laughs> you don't share secrets somebody told you on Twitter and say that they're a bitch and you wish you'd never been nice to them when their grandmother died. Like that's actually not an appropriate response to rejection. And if he thinks that that's like a like, oh, yeah, I realize those are really lousy things, but I was hurt. Like that's actually not that's not a good excuse. That's a bad way to respond to being hurt. And like part of what you should look for in a person you want to marry is what's their character? Like, what do they do when they don't get what they want? How do they handle disappointment? How do they handle frustration? How do they treat other people even when other people hurt them? And if his response to a woman saying, I'm glad we're friends, but I don't want to go out with you is, cool, I'm going to tell the internet personal things you share with me in confidence and say that I regretted being with you in your time of mourning. Um, That's not a good person. That's not a person who cares about you. I would also say that one thing in in the letter that kind of stuck out to me was that also the letter writer said he shared personal things I told him in confidence and all his bros on Twitter. Um, And that there was also like, I mean, she's like she like I don't want to read into this like it's like a Twitter bro thing. But like the thing that I did feel was kind of interesting about that, at least, was that like, oh, like (sighs) that's like those like that's the place where he goes to vent. Like that's like where his like experience of male camaraderie is, which suggests that his friends suck, too. Like, yeah, I, that's like, something about the kind of people he keeps company with that no one was like, hey, guy, this is actually like, hey, a, that's a bad behavior. response. Yeah. Yeah. This is well, a bad dude. He's stupid. He doesn't know what friendship is. His friends don't know what friendship is. Uh, he will do this to you again. Uh, I promise you. Like, yeah, in the future, I, when mm-hmm. you do something that he doesn't like, he's going to tell your secrets to other people. He's going to find a way to talk shit about you behind your back. He's going to betray your confidences. And he's going to be keeping a little scorecard in the back of his head of all the nice things he does for you. Not because I guarantee he loves you, you he, has to be happy. he has yeah, a spreadsheet. He has a spreadsheet of like how many times he listens to you talk about the people in your life that matter to you. And he's just like, well, that's earned me like whatever relationship bonuses I think that I deserve. And he's a bad dude and you should definitely break up with him. And I'm really sorry that this is how you had to find out that he was such a piece of shit, but you are not overreacting and you're, you'll do fine. He sucks. Yep. Yep. He's secretive. He's cowardly. He's selfish. He's dumb. He's the worst. I hate him. Same. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Noah, originally I thought that these were going to keep us so busy that we would not need a fourth question. And then this question came in and it's so outrageous. I don't even know what to say. I actually probably should have saved this for like when I eventually get Sarah Jong on the show because she's got like legal advice that she can help with this. But uh, oh my it's, goodness, it's too bonkers not to share. Um, I okay, haven't go. sent it to you, so I'm just going to have to read it to you. Yeah, no, I'm, all right, yeah. I'm taking notes. All right, so the subject of this one is car crash, ethical obligation. I live in a small town. Recently, the president of the local chamber of commerce, let's call him Bob, was driving on the outskirts of town with his wife when he was involved in a collision with another car. He suffered serious injuries, and the driver and sole occupant of the other vehicle was killed. The authorities deemed the other driver at fault. Recently, a group of us who gather at the local coffee shop were discussing the incident when someone, let's call him Jake, was on break and joined us and said that he was driving on the road at the same time and knew that the accident was actually Bob's fault. He said he left the scene of the accident because he'd had a few drinks and was behind in his child support payments. I told Jake that he needed to go to the authorities. He said no way was he getting involved and went back to the kitchen. The group finished up its chat. No one mentioned what Jake had said, and we went our separate ways. I went back into the kitchen and told Jake he had a moral obligation to go to the authorities. A dead person who could not defend herself would now have a permanent stain on her memory and possible legal ramifications for her estate. He said he couldn't be sure what he saw, and I told him to let the authorities sort that out. He said he also didn't need a charge of leaving the scene of the accident filed against him and that Bob was in a position to make his life miserable given his position in town. What is my responsibility here? Do I go the, to the authorities myself and tell them about Jake? Do I keep urging Jake to do the right thing? What is the right thing? Oh, oh wow. I just, this feels like Peyton Place. And I feel so bad uh, for this tiny, miserable town. Wow. I also, Man. I have so many questions. I think my first one is, can the president of the Chamber of Commerce really make life miserable for you. Um, I feel like maybe not ever having lived in a very small town puts me at a disadvantage here because I'm 
I'm not sure what the president of the Chamber of Commerce does. I mean, I, I, like- I, I that thought occurred to me, but I feel like the way to take it would be that, like, he is a person of some renown within this town, independent of his role. And that, like, whatever fear, like, what's hard to tell is, like, is it whether or not that's excuse making or if it's um, something more serious. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I, this is, oh, this is, man, this is a hard one. The well, other and part of what's hard is, I don't think you can go to the police and say, I heard someone else say that they witnessed a crime and that they saw, like, that's hearsay right like if like, you don't the have, most the police can do is like go visit that person and be like hey can you talk to us i mean like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go out on a limb here and be like hey yeah by the way i have a law degree i don't but like i there's nothing that strikes me as like immediately compelling for the police to like call this guy in yeah because it's one thing if you say i heard someone confess to a crime but you all you have is i heard someone say they witnessed a crime um and i don't know that that's actionable like i don't know that you can do that so there's that element to it. There's one thing that I'm a little confused about, uh, which is who fled the scene of the accident? Because the first time I read this, I thought that they meant they saw Bob flee, but clearly Bob suffered serious injuries and stayed. So what Jake is saying is I was there and I fled because I'd had a few drinks. So that makes me wonder if he is a great judge of what happened. Because usually when someone says, I left the scene of an accident because I had a few drinks, what they mean is I was driving very, very drunk and was afraid that, of getting a DUI. That was the thing that struck me is like, I like, I like, I would let Jake alone if only, if only because like, he's not a reliable narrator. He doesn't seem to like, it seems also that like, let's say he is pulled in front of the police. Like, he's not going to like say the thing that this person wants him to say. Like, there's also no, like, bringing him and putting him in front of a bunch of people who will question him about it. It doesn't mean that, like, he's going to say Bob is at fault. Like, it could just, in fact, compound the mess. Yeah. I mean, this is really, like, sad and difficult. I I feel like I I don't know that you could go to the police about this. Like, I think it's worth asking a lawyer, um, like, what what could the what is information that the police could actually act upon definitely by the way it's a little disingenuous of jake to like wander around at work and be like yeah. hey guys i saw that accident i was there drunk and behind on child support so i left anyhow no one tell the cops like it's possible that this will just get back to the cops anyways if jake is like this big on confessing uh I mean, to his th- own crimes that also just sounds like a a lie like like the like I don't know I mean I don't want I don't want to like just dis- dismiss this person's account or how authentic they think Jake sounded but like just a guy at work being like yeah I was behind on child support and drunk and uh, I saw this thing and it went down differently than everyone says like it it's I would my my advice I guess would be to like talk to a lawyer and see what their advice is somebody with actual knowledge of like what the ramifications of this kind of thing are and what like are the ethical obligations of the system and of the police in this situation. And then just like, let it like do whatever they say and like, let it be perhaps, but it's Mm -hmm. just, it seems like there isn't really going to be any satisfying or truly ethically just (laughs) uh, like, like really like ethically clear kind of uh, resolution to this. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you did the right thing in, like, following up with Jake, and I kind of want to commend you for that, for not letting it drop. Like, you went back to the kitchen, you were like, hey, Jake, if what you just said is true, like, you need to go to the cops. Um, And the fact that he then immediately backed off and was like, oh, I'm actually not really sure what I saw, and uh, Bob could make life really hard for me, makes me wonder if Jake is just, like, a small-town shit-talker and uh, wants to, like, spin wild yarns about being involved in things that he wasn't in. And then once you press him for details, his story kind of falls apart. Um, That's one possible read of the situation. The other one is that he was there and was kind of drunk, but saw what happened and has information that, like, the authorities should know about. You you unfortunately kind of can't know that for sure. Um, And I don't think you're, like, legally in a position where you could give that information to the police and force his hand. Um, So I think consult a lawyer. Definitely encourage Jake to, uh, you know, go to the cops. Uh, but I also, yeah, if he's like wandering around saying this shit at work, I have a feeling it's going to start getting back to Bob. 
And that could bring up a whole host of other issues. Like, I think there's also ways in which Jake is creating, uh, he's like setting the stage for his own self-destruction right now. Um, and yeah. and odds are really good that something's going to happen without your having to do anything. Um, but Jake sounds like a real piece of work. I think we yeah. can all agree that the yeah. wrong response to witnessing an accident where someone is clearly at fault is to leave, not help anyone, uh, but then later tell everyone that you were there and that there's been a miscarriage of justice that you don't plan on doing anything to help with. I it it see that seems like the exact like I I cannot commend the narrator enough. Uh, I cannot condemn Jake enough for for talking about that in such a haphazard and. and uh, bad way but like yeah. i said you know like and, and you said it's talk to somebody who would legitimately know what the consequences of this kind of thing are and heed their counsel and uh you know give yourself a, a pat on the back or some sort of good citizenship award for like caring very deeply about the ju- about like the justice of the situation yeah especially since like the other person is dead and can't speak for themselves i think that that's like that would really trouble and upset me and i like i i understand why this bothers you so much um because either like jake is stirring up trouble and telling lies or jake is like telling people there was a miscarriage of justice and this person's name is being smeared but i'm not going to do anything about it which is really lousy so yeah grab a lawyer luckily even though it's a small town any lawyer you talk to is bound by like confidentiality so whatever you discuss with them like you know is not going to like get back to jake or to bob um, and they'll be able to advise you like if there is something you can do if there's a way you can contact the police and say like i think you should ask jake some questions um great you can do that and then you know that like you've done your your absolute best and if there's nothing you can do you can just kind of continue when you see jake to say i remember what you said and i really think that you're doing the wrong thing and like let him sit with the consequences of his choices yeah and guys if if you are uh driving and you're behind on child support payments don't drink and if you are drinking and behind on child support payments um hire a cab that is cheaper than a dui or um any of the other possible things that could have happened. Oh, now I'm wondering, what if Jake caused the accident? He was driving drunk. Like, what if they oh. were both swerving to avoid Jake? And I don't even want to, I don't they... even, oh man. Oh. That's... Jake, you gotta, you gotta get your life together. Man. Come on, Jake. Please do better. Please, please, well, please do better. We really escalated, right? We started with my boyfriend's being petty over 80 bucks and we have ended with the phantom life ruiner. Yeah, Jake. seriously. We've ended with like, I know what you did last summer, but like worse <laughs> and sadder. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show and helping us uh, just address all the ills of the world. Noah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. Before we go, Uh, I would like to remind you all that when it comes to the Dear Prudence column to accept no substitutes. Recently, uh, I I have been informed that there is a fake version of the Dear Prudence column floating around uh, and someone actually sent it to me and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I'm so worried that one person might see it and even for a second think that it was me because uh, it is a... It, it it takes a position that I find morally abhorrent, but this is amazing. So I want to warn you all about this uh, and share in this exciting situation with you uh, and, and, and make sure that you all know not to trust it in future. Uh, recently, I was contacted by an adjunct, adjunct professor at a California college uh, whose adjunct professors recently uni- unionized, which is great. Unions are wonderful. And they had also recently gotten, because it's been, you know, a long and contentious process, uh, a copy, a physical copy of the Dear Prudence column uh, in their faculty mailbox. And every member of the faculty had gotten it. And it was an incredibly specific uh, column that was about their incredibly specific situation. And this person who was writing to me wanted to know if I had written the column in question, which was, in fact, like kind of poorly photoshopped. Uh, but it, it's it's called a growing divide. My colleagues are making it difficult to work with, trust and respect them. Uh, and it's this incredibly long letter uh, about how the union has just 
brought strife and conflict to the situation and just a list of these incredibly petty resentments that the person who wrote this has against their colleagues. Um, And then this really long, flowery response from me that's just, oh, I understand your concern. Drama has become the norm in society and especially on college campuses, which I just have to say, I am really offended that someone thinks I would ever write the sentence, drama has become the norm in our society. I don't even know what that means. Like, drama just means conflict, I think. Uh, And I don't, it's an amazing sentence. I could parse it for a hundred years and still not understand uh, what they thought I was trying to say. but it's just, like, amazing, and I find it morally reprehensible, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and I'm so glad that someone did this, but it's also just uh, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want to kiss it gently on the forehead, um, and I also, uh, even more than that, want to make sure everyone knows that I did not write this and um, that I have no interest in, like, helping some angry anti-unionist tabulate their petty uh, resentments. Um, So in case you are working at some sort of office or factory or campus that has recently unionized and you see a physical copy of the column turning up in your mailbox, you know, double check it against the archives that we have online and ask yourself, does this have the ring of truth? Bite it to see if it bends, which I think is what people used to do with old coins. Um, Oh, this is just amazing. This is so amazing. No, this is the worst thing I've ever read. Um, It's also, it's just really beautiful the way that like fake prudence really praises the letter writer in the way that you do when you write fake letters, like reminding yourself of how great you are and how awful everyone else is. Uh, At one point, I say that you've been exhibiting bottomless amounts of patience, which I bet they haven't. Uh, You know, if you need a fake advice columnist to tell you that you've been endlessly patient, you probably haven't been. You're probably really mad at everyone and don't want to be patient ever again for the rest of your life. Um, So, yeah, just wanted to remind you, in case uh, somebody writes a really long uh, extended version of the column about uh, a wildly specific situation in your workplace, probably didn't come from me. And I don't think you're as patient as you think you are. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help new listeners find the podcast, and then they write reviews, and then more people write reviews, and then you get more questions and more advice. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to about 30 seconds, a minute tops, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. 